Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. All right, a night off from the NBA, at least for Jazz fans. Kind of weird. They get back-to-back days. Joe Ingles is coming up later here, and uh, he'll talk about getting locked out of the gym. It's a lockout day for the team on Thursday. He'll be back at it with a practice today, and then they got the Mavericks tomorrow afternoon. Without much... Pro basketball, I realized there was some because TNT's got their Thursday night doubleheader every week, and the Lakers got a triple-double from LeBron, and they won. So they're, they're four games ahead of the uh, Jazz in the loss column, and, and they stay right there. But uh, without much NBA basketball, the focus was on college. And BYU and Utah both win. Weber State and UVU lose. Uh, four teams playing. Three of them had one-point games. That's kind of odd. The one who did not was BYU. And the difference, well, there's two storylines. Maybe three. Obviously, Yoli Child's coming back. That's one. Um, getting him back is a big deal. They obviously need him. He gives them scoring punch. He gives them rebounds. And I think he gives them a lot of confidence. Makes the bench a little longer because obviously he's in there playing starting minutes. So there's bonuses all the way around. And he came in and gave him 26 points and nine boys. He had a good game. Jake Toulson had an impact too with his 28 points. But, and, and the fact that they won 74 60 at Pacific and the fact that those two guys combined for uh, 54 of the 74 points is something. The other guys just a smattering of points. Haas with nine and Barcelo five and. Lee, Nixon, and Celius with two each. It was really two guys doing all the scoring. But I think the bigger storyline is this BYU team defends. I keep saying it. And it takes all five guys to defend. And it takes the subs coming in and defending too. When you do what BYU did to win that game in the second half, when you hold a team to 60 points, your odds of winning go way up. When you look at these games that BYU lost at you know Pacific or USF or San Diego or Loyola or wherever, you find a lot of these games that were in the 80s. And they're giving away cheap hoops and trying to outscore people. And it works sometimes. But every year there were a couple conference games where it didn't. And they lost to lower teams, bottom feeders, and knocked them, knocked their NCAA tournament hopes sideways and ended them. And this team is defending. And maybe it's a new coaching staff, and it's maybe it's the fact that there's a lot of seniors and these guys haven't gone to the NCAA tournament and they really want to, and so maybe that's it. Uh, but whatever it is, it's working. And it's easy to say the two guys who scored a lot of points had a good game, and you know, you got to have points to win the game, and everything else you do, everything you do is set up to make the shots you get as makeable as possible, uncontested, closer to the hoop, wide open, all that stuff, or to make the other guy's shots more contested, further from the hoop, right? Don't give them anything open. Don't give them anything easy. So it's easy to look at the guys who score points, but when you defend, if you're going to make it difficult for the other team to score, usually everybody's got to be on the same page. If four, four people defend well and one defends poorly, it's amazing how often the other team finds that guy. <laughs> it really is. So the key in this game was uh, BYU had the lead at the half. They are up by four, and, and they were going back and forth. And they stretched the lead out. They got it to six or eight or whatever. And Pacific went on a little run and took the lead at 53-51 midway through the half. It looked like, okay, BYU could be in trouble here. What's going to happen? And they went on a 21 nothing run. Now, part of that was Toulson hit four threes. But the reason it wasn't a 21-10 run is they are defending. You can't give people a lot of easy looks and think you're going to go on a 21-0 run. And it keeps happening. Go back and look at the score. So we'll see if BYU can do it again Saturday, USF, 3 o'clock. That game will be on KJS 14. But I thought 
above everything else, BYU defended. And BYU got a win on the road when they were 1-4 on the road. But a big part of that is Childs is back because he only played part of that Utah game that they lost on the road. And obviously he didn't play against Gonzaga and he didn't play at St. Mary's. So there's a couple road losses that you knew they were going to lose without Childs there. The odds of them losing went way, way up. So they needed him back. They, they needed a win on the road and they did it. Now the Utah-Washington game, that was about as weird a finish as you could see. The Utes' offense, 67-66, does not do justice. It doesn't tell you how much they struggled with Washington's zone. And it's not the first time they've struggled with Washington's zone. And they were struggling with it. But a weird thing happened at the end of the game. Well, first off, they defended well and they stayed close. You've got to give them points for scrapping, for competing, for forcing Washington into some bad shots. And it was a low-scoring game. And Washington had the lead for... 31 minutes, I think. They took the lead about 8 minutes into the game because Utah started 7-0, and then Washington went on a 19-5 run, and they took control. They never trailed. The Utes tied it up at 28 and at 30, and got down 6 or 8, and they get back within 1. They even commented on the broadcast uh, you know, that Washington was in control, but they hadn't slammed the door. And then in the last four minutes, they made a bunch of bad decisions. Just terrible. Uh, The Utes, Timmy Allen hit a three with four minutes to go. And that was the Utes' last field goal. And he hit a three that got him within five points. And they were down seven with two and a half minutes to go. And Washington, for some reason, started fouling. And they fouled so much, you would have thought they were the team down by seven, not up by seven. But they kept fouling, and the Utes kept making the free throws in the last Two minutes and 32 seconds, the Utes shot 13 free throws and made 12 of them. Now, a couple of fouls probably could have gone either way. Maybe the Utes get a break because they're at home. That's the way it works, right? Some of the fouls, though, were blatant and were just bonehead plays by Washington. They're going to look at the film, and they're not going to need the coaching staff to yell them. The players are going to look at them and go, that was a terrible foul. There was no reason to try to take that charge at midcourt. That was just a bad decision. Get out of the way. So the Utes make their free throws on a night they can't really make make anything. They shot the ball just terribly. Uh, They were 34% from the floor. They were 12% from the arc. Uh, Ryland Jones, a freshman, was 0 of 8, but made the free throws in the clutch. He finished 9 for 10 in the game, and 8 of the 9 were in, when he went 8 of 9 in the final 2.5 minutes. Those were were all clutch free throws. Booth Gotch took 5 threes. He missed them all. I mean, those two alone were 0 of 13, but they found a way to win the game. They defended enough. They got some calls. Some, you know, 50-50 calls that went their way, and some Washington just making bonehead plays. And then you got to make the pressure free throws when you get them, and they did. And they get out of there with a 67-66 win. And even at the end, Washington an offensive foul to end the game. Uh, Weber State, their nightmare year continues. They blew a 13-point lead. That was awful. And UVU lost to Bakersfield in overtime in Bakersfield, 58-57. So that was the college hoops. All right, we got to take a break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk jazz. We're going to talk with David Locke and then Joe Ingles later in the hour. Stay with us. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Utah Jazz are back in action tomorrow afternoon. They face the Dallas Mavericks. The Jazz are rolling now. 
Just crushing it, winning 18 of the last 20. PK and I spoke with David Locke right at the end of the show yesterday. Radio voice of the Utah Jazz to get his take on the Jazz, how hot they are, what is the most impressive part of this hot streak. Here are PK and I with David Locke. David Locke joins us now. David, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good. Not as good as the Utah Jazz. 18 out of 20 is impressive. 13 of 14. Ten of those by double digits. That's impressive. But I think the thing that's getting my attention now is the fact they're 10-2 and two in their last 12 road games. Is that the most impressive thing to you, or you got something else right now that's getting you? No, I think the offensive rating of a 122 is the most impressive since Jordan Clarkson joined the team. I mean, that, that's his, you know, it's, it's not for an entire season, but for the last 14 games, the offense is a 122.6. The next closest in that span is Dallas at 116. So that's six points more per 100 possessions than the second-best team. Uh, the league average is 110.7, so the difference between one and two, the Jazz one to two, is more than the difference between two to the league average. Um, it's pretty incredible what they're doing offensively right now um, without an excessive amount of outliers is actually what probably jumps out to me more than anything else. They're certainly shooting it well at an effective field goal percentage of 59%, which probably is not sustainable since it's three points better than anyone else in the league. But other than that, there's not a lot of stuff in here that's not too sustainable, and there's not a lot of individual performances that are that are outrageous. Um, so it's curious. I'm curious to see who slows, who can figure out a way to slow down the offense at some point here. So they're now in second place, and a lot of folks had them being that high. And you speak of not a lot of outrageous individual performances. I think there's actually one, and it's to the one that's a surprise, because if you told me they would be this good without getting a whole lot from Mike Conley, that's where I'd be surprised. Not so much that they're there, but I had Conley expected to have a big season, and obviously because of injuries and other issues, he hasn't had that. Does that surprise you that they're where they're at, given the fact of the issues and situations of Mike Conley? Good point. Um, It's a really good point, because Mike Conley is pretty vital to everything we thought was going to happen. Boyan Bogdanovich and Mike Conley um, being inserted into into that offense was what we thought. Now, Mike's you know, three games back, he's shooting 52%, but he's, it's not like he's shooting a lot and he's not doing anything that's too, um, too outrageous. I mean, I think it's a great point. You look at the last 14 games we're talking about, Donovan's shooting really well. Donovan's shooting 50 from the field and 40 from three. Bogdanovich is at 47 and 35. That's not crazy. Gobert's been great. He's at 69%. That's exactly what he was last year when Favors was off the floor. Clarkson's at 46-33. Joe's at Joe's a little hot. He's at 50-49, so that's hot. That's probably harder than you can maintain. And the rest of the guys are kind of where you'd expect them to be. Um, And the shot quality they're getting is incredible. So, yeah, I would expect Mike to then add into that mix here as he gets more and more comfortable with time. Feels like the way they're going, there's no need to rush him back into the starting five or into the closing five. But assuming that they don't win nine out of every ten games for the rest of the season, at which point I guess I would never make any changes, what do you think about Quinn just kind of holding on to Mike in this uh, backup role until there is a bump in the road and they lose three out of five and they're struggling and maybe putting him in the starting lineup then would be the jolt to get him back on track? Mike would have to be really on board with that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think you have to respect Mike Conley's career and who he is, and, you know, you aren't supposed to lose your job due to injury. Um, 
So I think there's, I think you'd have to really, that have to be maybe Mike initiated more than Quinn initiated. And I'm not sure that that's a spot where I'd expect Mike Conley to go. I think, um, I think my, as Mike gets cleared more and more here, he's going to want to play more and more, and you can, and you know, you owe him the the respect to play him more and more. Okay, so with that in mind, and I obviously I buy what you're saying exactly. And since he's been back in the bench role, that's reduced the role of Moutier. But if Conley and when Conley goes back as the starter and plays more and more minutes, does that mean Moutier goes back to where he was as being the backup to Conley as it was earlier in the year? No, I don't think so. I think this is the new nine-man rotation okay. um, that we're seeing right now. I think it just would be dispersed a little differently. You know, so this is a phrase that I am not sure I've heard a lot of people talk about when you talk about substitution patterns. But if you kind of look at how teams do substitution patterns, you a player either will play – well, Jordan Clarkson actually is kind of a unique one, so I guess there's three – but a, a player will generally play either two stints or three stints and a half. Um, and then, and certain players are different. Certain players like it different ways. Jordan Clarkson's unique in the sense that Jordan Clarkson is coming pretty close to playing one stint, right? He checks in and plays about 13 consecutive minutes with a quarter break in between. Um, and so some of the bench players maybe do that. But starters generally, you play players at either <clears throat> two or three stints. And so I think what you'll see is a nine-man rotation, and I don't know how they'll do it, but you may see Mike playing in stints so that his minutes are similar along with maybe starting. The added minutes are starting, and then he's playing similar minutes to what he's doing right now um, and against who he's playing um, in some ways. I'm not entirely sure, but uh, it's a way to – so you in turn you would play Mike in three stints. He would start – he'd play a closing – you know, first quarter, and he'd play some stint in second quarter or something of that sort. Um, but I, I think this is the nine-man rotation moving forward. So no matter how good they've been, and they've obviously been very good, it's never perfect. What is Quinn working on? What is he cooking up? What is the next thing to improve them and make them better? They've been pretty good. I know. Um, I agree. I mean, I think we're seeing a lot of the things that Quinn's been working on throughout the season. Um and I think, you know, he'll just dominate the details will be the phrase that he talks to them about the most, which is just the continuation of of trying to make sure that you're getting better every day and that you're, you know, you're dominating the details. And we're seeing it. I mean, a lot of them, the dominated details can involve Rudy. I mean, there's just play calls that we see that they're running now that are working that didn't run earlier this year because they didn't dominate the details by to make sure that, you know, Rudy's route was starting at the right spot or the ball was at the right angle or things of that nature. Um, there's one play in particular I'm thinking of, and, you know, they just are running it better than they ran it um, a month ago, and in turn, it's working. Just watching the games as I do, it seems that Jordan Clarkson gets his points so regularly, almost like it's with ease, and I know it's not, but it just seems like he is something that you can absolutely count on every game. How would you answer that? I think that's actually... What is most interesting to me about this team right now, I agree 100%, PK, um, and I'm just blown away by his ability to get to the basket. <clears throat> and I'm wondering, you know, the same thing everybody else is, is there, is there a matchup here at some point where he doesn't? Um, he's sneaky good on the pick and roll, too, by the way. His numbers with Gobert on the pick and roll are through the roof. Um, the, the one that has me maybe most excited about this team 
is the standard deviation of performance is really narrow. And so when you have a great team is when you can pen in what each player is going to give you each night. When you have a team that's not that way, it's when you have the player who averages 16 points a game, and that means he gives you 24 one night and 12 the other. And that's actually 18. But um, So, you know, that's, um, you know, when you have that, it's hard because you lose on the night where it gives you 12 and you win the night where it gives you 24. We don't have that right now, right? Like, I mean, we can just about open the box score, right? Fill out the box score before the night's over. Donovan's getting 24. Boyan's getting 21. Yeah. Rudy's getting like 17. Joe's getting 12. Royce is going to get eight. Clarkson's coming off the bench for 15. And it's about the same every single night. And then it's about the same without Quinn Snyder, like calling each guy's number. It's just happening in the flow of the game. That, to me, is the most interesting and encouraging thing about what's taking place on this team. Because if you're is having that level of consistency in performance out of all of your guys, then how do you have a bad night? And we haven't had one yet. We got outscored by New Orleans. Um, and it will be interesting to see in the next 10 games when we play good offensive teams. None of them are top 10 defensive teams until we play Miami on the final night before the All-Star break, whether any of those teams can outscore us. So, going forward, you were talking about being able to pencil in, you know, Rudy will get his 17. Rudy started putting up these 20-point games, five of the last six, and I'm wondering if that's because the Jazz have, for quite a while now, had four of the top 25, 33-point shooters in the league, and as much as they wanted to take away the dunks, as PK mentioned, uh, hey, three is more than two. They're not leaving these good three-point shooters. Is Rudy going to be in the paint in a two-man game? Because... They, they tend to score a lot of points with him when that happens. I mean, their catch-and-shoot game right now is at 42.7%, so you're about 1.3 points per shot on the catch-and-shoot. You, you can't, like, if you're the opposing team, you cannot let that happen. Like, you've got to limit that. So now you're playing pick-and-roll, and Rudy's rolling, and uh, if Rudy sets a good pick, now you've got to probably switch that pick-and-roll. And so you've got a big on the guard, or the big trying to play both. There just aren't that many bigs that can do what Rudy does where he guards two guys that in that manner. And, I mean, this is this is the essence of what the offense is. This is how you pick your poison. Now, the Warriors are terrible. But, you know, Indiana, who was, I think, sluggish, didn't have an answer for it. I, I don't I – don't, I think the answer is on certain given plays, you're going to have to start trapping this team a little bit. But if you trap us regularly, we've torched everyone for three years who's done that. So I don't really know right now. Um, it'll be. I think phys- teams are going to get into us physically, blow up our spacing. Our spacing last night was terrible. And so you, if you just freeze-frame the game last night, every possession we came down to our floor spacing, just absolutely perfect on every play. And then it just gives Clarkson and Bill Bear and all these guys just so much room in the middle of the floor to manage. Boyan just working his way in. You know the floor spacing's not as good on the nights where Boyan's driving, the ball's getting knocked out of his hands because he's, you know, he's not at 6'9 or 6'8. He's not the tightest dribbler. And we're asking him to do stuff he hasn't done before. Um, but it's, uh, you know, I, I don't know what you do defensively because you, you just don't have a lot of guys you can leave. I think teams are going to leave Royce at a higher rate than they are right now and force him to beat him. And I think they're going to do the same thing with George, and he's shown he can beat him. Um, and so those are the two guys that I think if you're a team coming in, you're just going to decide those two have to shoot as much as you possibly can because everybody else is too good. Do you anticipate that the team is excited to go into this between now and the All-Star break when the schedule gets tougher to maybe, I don't know necessarily to prove to themselves, 
but really just shut up critics who say you're just doing nothing but beating bad teams? I don't think they're excited to play. Like, I think it's just really fun for them to come to the arena every night. I think they, you know, we got in late last night and they get the day off today. And, and I would guess what they have today. I don't know this, but I would guess. No, I actually think they might have a closed gym today. Sometimes they'll, they'll close the gym and say. It is closed. You know, it's locked a- out. It's a lockout, Joe told us. It's locked out. Yeah, okay. So it's a lockout. Um, because if it's not a lockout, I would guess that, and, and that's probably why they did a lockout. Um, because everyone's so, having such a good time that if you're not careful, everyone will just show up at the gym at one o'clock, and, and you're not getting what they need to have as a lockout. So, um, I I think um, I think there's just a great energy to everything that's going on. Ethan Strauss, who writes longtime writer, not longtime, but an interesting NBA writer. Um, afterwards, I was talking with him, and he's like, I have not seen a locker room like that in a long time. He's like, maybe the Warriors the very first year when they kind of clicked and everything was so happy, but he's like, wow, that locker room in there was as joyous and fun and they're having a good time together. I just think these guys right now, I mean, it's really, it's really fun when you're this good to to go to work every day. So I think that's, um, I think that's a large part of what we're seeing. And so to your question specifically, PK, I just think they're excited to go to the gym. Is it playing better teams? Honestly, I think these guys have a pretty good respect for everyone they're playing um, and know that those are other NBA players. They certainly know they're better than them, like last night, but I think they have a pretty good respect that like D'Angelo Russell could go for 45 if you forget to show up. So I, I think there's probably a little bit of hype that you're ready to go play Luka or James Harden um, because of the, who they are, but I also actually just think – players more than fans are actually pretty ready to play every night because they have respect for the 450 guys in the league. Well, David, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us. And uh, we'll hear you Saturday afternoon, the Jazz and the Mavericks. I know. i got to remember that one. Don't, get, you know, don't show up three hours late for that one. <laughs> exactly. 3 o'clock game. All right, thanks, David. You, There's David Locke, the radio voice of the Utah Jazz. We are going to take a break. And when we come back... The man, Joe Ingles, the Joe Ingles Show. We'll talk with him next. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. The Utah Jazz enjoying a day off yesterday. Didn't even practice. Locked out of the gym. Joe Ingles did spend a few minutes with us. So you hear a few last nights because he's referencing the Warriors game on uh, Wednesday. But they're back at it with uh, practice today and a game tomorrow with the Dallas Mavericks at home. 3 o'clock, a rare Saturday afternoon home game. Here's Joe Ingles with PK and I on 97.5 at 1280, The Zone. This is the Zone Sports Network. Back to Joe and he'll flush. And it's time to hear from the best looking, most charismatic, and certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jazz. Jingle Bells! Joe Ingles. Gives it back to Joe to the cop, slams it in. And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. This is the Joe Ingles Show (laughs) with DJ and PK. Who? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. 
The Joe Ingles Show is brought to you by your hardworking friends at Mountainland Supply. For all your plumbing and irrigation needs, go to mountainlandsupply.com. We welcome in the man, the myth, the legend, Joe Ingles. Joe, good morning. And right out of the gate, we got a, we got a tough question for you. Are you ready? Good morning. <laughs> I'm ready. 18-2 and two in the last 20. Obviously, the team is playing very well. But a couple years ago... You finished with a run where you went twenty nine and five. Does this feel okay. better? Does this feel better than that? Because that twenty nine five to close the season that was an awesome run. But this is getting into a pretty spectacular range itself here. You were on both teams. Does one feel better than the other? Um, no. I mean, I don't know. it's obviously different. I don't think we've ever had a. Maybe we've had a winning record, but it's pretty much been like 500 at this point. Um, I think it's, I don't know, I think it's different every year. It's hard to, to kind of, obviously winning in general is, is a lot more fun than losing. And um, when we were when we were gone 29 and 5 or whatever, obviously um, everything feels good. You feel good. You, the team feels good. The, the coach, your staff, you, you guys, the fans, everyone... Um, feels good. Um, I think after the start we had this year, um, everyone was probably thinking we were heading in the same direction, um, kind of fighting our way through that first part. And, and I think, like we said all along, I think we thought that and, and knew that we would figure it out. And, um, the biggest thing, again, as boring as it is, is, is I think that the turnaround of guys we had, and I think guys are, are really comfortable now. Obviously, we 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 know where we're attacking. We, we know our defense and, and it's set and our system and um, everything's kind of just flowing really well at the moment. So you guys have been beating a holy snot out of a bunch of teams here lately. I mean, 30-point wins is just frequent and it's crazy, but that's nevertheless what it is. And you guys being younger guys tend to be on social media and there's been talk, yeah, they've been beating these bad teams. Between now and the All-Star break, you know, you got Houston, you got Dallas, you got Denver, you you got Miami and all this stuff. Uh, Do you feel like this is an opportunity to really make a mark between now and the All-Star break? Because if you continue on this pace, by the time you get to the All-Star break, nobody can say, well, yeah, you beat a bunch of bad teams. Yeah, obviously the the goal is to, to keep winning um, regardless of a, a team's record or, or win streak or, or losing streak. Uh, even coach yesterday, was, I think we've done a really good job of just taking it game by game and um, being motivated in, in, in a different way, obviously. Each game is so different and um, different opponent, different team. Um, even last night, they're... they're they're playing a lot better than what their record is. They went to double OT with Portland. They've been in a, a lot of games recently and um, and won some games. So I think even just having, just the mindset that we've gone into a lot of these games, it, it can be hard, I think. I think you can go in there assuming you're going to win. And um, I think we've done that in the past. I think in previous years, the games that we've um, been favoured to win, we've struggled with, and the games that we've we're not supposed to win. We've we've kind of come out and and, and done really well and and, and beaten these teams. So well, I think this group's done a really good job of just kind of taking it game by game and and enjoying the the game that we're playing at that time and that that challenge. And um, obviously, like I said obviously winning and getting out some leads is is nice for our, 
um, the guys that play big minutes and to, to see the, the young guys get out there. And I think they played pretty much the whole last quarter last night. Um, it is great experience for them as well. So uh, PK mentioned social media. Never doubt the power of social media. Never doubt how closely jazz fans follow every single image that pops up during a game. So I you're, already know where you go. Yeah, I know, right? So you're, you've got a big lead at halftime over the Warriors, and there's a shot of you and Draymond Green. And Draymond had a lot to say to you, and you were clearly listening and absorbing it. And uh, and then he had a little more to say, and as you were walking away, you kind of reacted. And I thought, oh, that's uh, that's going to pop up on Twitter. And sure enough, I had five people tweeting at me in less than five minutes, and it just keeps coming. They all want to know what the most tweets you've had of you. What was that? No, no, I, I can I can say stupid stuff and get way more than that. Don't kid yourself. Um, <laughs> but people do want to know what what was that all about, Joe? Well, I can tell you, absolutely nothing interesting. <laughs> there was no. There was no breaking news. Um, it actually was a few possessions before at the free throw line where we were talking about something, and um, that had just kind of continued, obviously, at the end of the quarter. I think it was the end of the half. Um, we were right next to each other, and we just kind of continued on what we were talking about earlier, but it had nothing interesting. It was actually quite boring, um, but... I mean, it doesn't need to be said because it's not. It, it was just a regular conversation. There was nothing interesting involved. So you've been in the league now for six years, and obviously you develop relationships with your teammates or guys who used to be your teammates and moved on. But I'm wondering, have you formed any friendships or relationships with guys on other teams? And using Draymond Green as an example, because you're playing them three, four times a year, and actually even more if you get them in the playoffs. And since you've been in the league for a number of years, have you been able to have relationships with guys who aren't on your team or were on your team? Yeah, for sure. I think you, like you said, you, you just get, get to know people and um, sometimes it's the, the flip side of that is you, you have bad experiences or you get into it with them and, and you probably never speak to those people again and um, there's other guys that you yeah you just generally um, you see them a lot it's the same as dropping my kids at school you see, see the same parents and teachers every day and you um, yeah you just get obviously get talking to people and stuff so um yeah, it's, I, mean, I still remember um, when I signed my deal and playing Golden State and Draymond and Duran and a couple of those guys would walk up and like, congrats on your new deal. And like, so you just, you get to know people, like you said, just from playing them. And um, I mean, I've never caught up with, <laughs> with anyone outside of our, our team, really, I don't think, um, except past, kind of past teammates or whatever. Um, but just on court, pre-game, post-game, um, Obviously, yeah, like you said, it's just a, a, a bit of a weird kind of relationship because it's the only time you see them, but um, you obviously have respect for other players and, and a lot of them are, are decent people, even though we get into it on court or you hate someone because of the way they play or whatever it is, but um, a, a lot of the guys are, are really good guys that we play against. So you're playing against the Dallas Mavericks Saturday, and that means Luka Doncic, and he has just taken the league by storm, triple doubles, impressing everybody. And you've mentioned this in in previous uh, previous visits with us. You kind of saw this coming because of the way he played in the Euro League. What he did was kind of man child stuff as a teenager, dominating. So this hasn't really blown you away. No, not at all. Um, 
uh, I think the guys that watched him in Europe, I think not just watched him. If you've played in Europe or you understand the style or whatever of Europe, then it's a lot easier to understand. You could go look at his stats now and you know, 12, 13 points or whatever it was um, in a 40-minute game um, when the, the style is so different. It's like every team is walking the ball up and running a, a, a play every single time. And so the, the, there's such limited possessions. And then for him to still average... 14 points, whatever it was, um, lead his team. He, they won the Euro League. He was MVP of that. Um, I think he was MVP of the Spanish League or, or close to it, if not. Um, doing all of that at the age he was doing it is is real. I played with absolute superstars when I was in Europe, and they weren't doing things that he was doing. So, um, yeah, I think uh, I think people that watched it and saw it and, and understand European basketball knew what was coming um, I think a lot of other people just saw a slow <laughs> European dude coming over to, to play and I think I mean his rookie year he was solid he, he was good he wasn't he obviously had some big games and, and whatever but I think what he's done this year is unbelievable and um, we're obviously yeah, we're, it's exciting to, to play someone that's playing at this level and um, a good challenge for us to, to go out there and try and slow him down what would you equate that level of competition over there in Europe to as far as the U.S.? Is it G League? Is it high-level college, mid-level college? Exactly what would it be? Um, yeah, probably kind of like G League-ish. Um, I mean, the top teams in Europe, uh, uh, I mean, they've beaten NBA teams. Obviously, granted, it's preseason and there's 20 guys on a roster or whatever. And, and probably a lot of times that the main guys aren't playing or not playing much anyway. Um, but I mean, my Barcelona team had a few NBA players that are playing NBA now, and um, a few NBA players that had played in the past. Um, guys had been drafted that, that just didn't, didn't want to come over. So, um, yeah, I mean, the competition over there is, is really good. It's there's guys, there's Americans over there that um, could play in the NBA for whatever reason. They're not if it's money or, or the role or situation there. Guys are making tax-free money and getting to play 30 minutes a game. Do, 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 do they want to come over and play on a minimum and, and sit on the end of the bench? So um, I think Navarro, Navarro is a, a good example. He, he came over for a year, and the year he came over, I think he was all first team as a rookie or whatever and, and got offered a massive deal to go back and live at home and um, play in his home city for back for Barcelona again, and, and he decided to do that with a, obviously a much bigger role than what he had in the NBA. Um, it's hard to hard to compare, but yeah, I mean, I played with some some unbelievable players, played against some unbelievable players, and um, yeah, it's a, it's a really good competition. So we've seen NBA players go play in Europe for a couple of years at the end of the career. Have you uh, considered going back to Europe at the end of your career? Absolutely or not. When you're done in no the NBA, chance. you're done. Um, I don't know if I'll be done. Um, I've always, I guess, talked about or considered playing in Australia. Um, obviously, I started there when I was 17, and to sign a contract and start playing at that, that young was something that I'd always dreamed of. Um, I guess I didn't think when I first came to the Jazz or, or to the NBA I was going to be here for this long. Um, I assumed it was going to be a couple of years maybe and, and see if I could hang around for three and get my 
<laughs> get my uh, retirement plan and, and probably head home. But it's obviously turned out very different to what I first assumed, and um, it'll be what eight years or something like that when I'm done with my contract here here in Utah. So um, I don't know if I'll still be here or be in Australia. I, don't, I obviously have no idea what's going to happen, but um, I'd love to stay here as long as I can, and then. Yeah, like I said, consistent playing in Australia. I'd love to play um, back in front of my family and help the league in Australia grow. And um, yeah, so we'll just kind of weigh that up as as we go down this path. As we sit here today, Joe, you are the speaking of the Jazz are in second place alone. And listening to the broadcaster talking about, well, you know, you want that second place so you can uh, face the Lakers in the conference final. My way of thinking is, yeah, you want second. You actually want first if you can get it. But my way of thinking is I don't care who you play because I believe you're good enough to beat whomever. So if you should get the Lakers in the second round, so be it. Just punk the crap out of them in the second round instead of the third round. How do you respond to that, Joe? Um, I mean, I haven't thought about the playoffs one bit, but um, I think, like you said, I think if you're a team that's that's obviously in the eight, in the four, in the six, four, whatever position it is, um, obviously you want to um, you, you want to win as many games as possible, and you want to be as high as possible, regardless of kind of who you're playing. You want to you want to finish as high as you can. And, um, I think all you go into it with a I mean, regardless of what precision or seed or whatever you are you've got to beat really good teams if you want to go all the way and win an NBA championship regardless of what seed you are you've got to you've got to beat some really good teams so um, I mean yeah when, when that time comes whoever we play going into it I think we've in the past done a really good job and, and Quinn and his group's done a really good job of just preparing us for that series we've obviously had some good wins in series and we've had some, some losses as well so um, you just go into it you've got seven games you, you try and obviously win four of them and um, you obviously it's, again as boring as it sounds you take it one by one and that's the Lakers or the eight or the six whatever it is you, you, you take it as, it as it comes and like I said you've got to beat a lot of good teams to, to go all the way regardless Right but my point being is I believe you're a really good team and so, so do it doesn't matter who you're playing. You got to beat them, and you can beat I mean, them. We we will never like we 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 won't care who we play. Yeah, that's like, my point. Same as people saying that we've only played bad teams in this stretch or whatever they've been saying. It's you still got to win, like win these, these, these NBA players. There's a lot of good players in this league, and and like I said, even Golden State last night is they're playing better than their record. They've got. Obviously, last night they've got AB, they've got D'Angelo, they've got Draymond, they've got Willie Cauley-Stone who had a huge role in, in Sacramento. They've got real players. Um, so every game is is something different. And yeah, if we we'll play, we'll talk about this later. We got we got way way too much time before now in the playoffs. You know, when things are going this well, and, and Jazz fans, I mean, so many fans want it so bad. They've been ruining this team for a quarter of a century, and they can still remember Stockton and Malone and Jordan and all that stuff. They want it so bad. And sometimes during the game, there's a cutaway of Quinn, and you see his eyes. And maybe it's about a call, or maybe it's about a play, or a player, or whatever. But they seem so into it, and it fires them up because they're that into it. And I'm wondering, when you're playing this well, 
Does the way Quinn interact with the team change at all? Does he, I don't want to relax, probably isn't the right word, or lighten up, but is there a little less of an edge, or is he the same guy today that he was in mid-November when things weren't going as well? He's the same guy today that he is six years ago when he when he first got the job. He, um, I think, obviously, as, as he's grown as a coach and, and has um, been here for that kind of time, you, you figure things out and um, learn different things. So there's obviously little things here and there that are, are different. But in terms of what he stands for as a coach and, and the details and the professionalism and the player development, like we watch unbelievable amount of, of film. And I'm, I mean that in a good way. And it's um, the, the learning. There's just a nonstop. Obviously, I can't speak for other teams because I've never really played except a few weeks with the Clippers um, but a lot of guys that come here just say it's, it's not the same as teams they've been on and, and obviously that's in a good way We there's so much attention to detail and um, I said it last night someone was asking a similar question about Quinn it's just like there's just no no days off from um, we've got today off which is nice but no no days off from learning and getting better whenever we're at the gym there's something that we can obviously improve there would have been something last night um that we can do better that hopefully the next time we play them or another team we, we don't do the same thing and um and that's hard to do to stay so focused and, and determined to, to keep this franchise going and, and obviously heading in the right direction and obviously everyone that's um, watch closely for the six years Quinn's been here. He, he's a big part of this massive change that's happened from when I first got here and we were winning. I think we won 25 games or something like that my first year. Um, we've we've already beaten that as of right now, but we've had a, what, a couple 50-win seasons and gone in the first round, gone in the second round. Um, and a, and a, a lot is the culture and, and what he does and what he brings and what he stands for. So... Um, Utah is, is lucky to have him, and, and hopefully he's, well, he just extended, didn't he? So he's, yeah. he's here for a bit longer. You speak of having the day off. Is it possible to com- completely get away from it? Can you, are you able to do that? Well, today is like a like a lockout day. Like, no one's allowed to go in, which is nice, because if you have a day off, but it's like, a, like an optional kind of day or whatever, most guys go in anyway, just because you what we do it's what we used to but the doors will be be locked today and um obviously we'll have a good practice tomorrow and get in there and then shoot around and that so we've got a, a bit of time but it's nice to have have a day off and just drop miller at school and um hang out with renee a little bit and just kind of do a, a bit of regular stuff i guess watch tv go to the movies uh, i don't know jacob doesn't have school today uh, this school's got the day off, so we've got Jacob at home, and um, it was nice to. I mean, uh, we got back at what two thirty, but for me, it's something that I uh, I love doing, and to walk in there with Miller and drop her off and pick her up, and and obviously now with Jacob at home, get to actually see Jacob and spend some time with him, and and um, and obviously Renee as well. So it's um, it's different for us. I know it sounds like stupid because we only practice a few hours a day or whatever but to to spend a whole day with with the kids is something that we don't get very often so it's it's nice for me to be able to do that joe as always we'll appreciate it we'll let you go uh enjoy your day off 
I will. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. There's Joe Ingles when we come back. What is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us.